if you guys have your Bibles, um, go ahead and turn into Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. I'm glad that you guys are here. We, uh, because of the baby dedication and me typically being long-winded, we didn't really do announcements this morning. So um, just, just real quickly, one of the things I do want to quickly make mention of is next week, um, next Sunday, we're doing a church picnic and then baptism over at McClay Gardens by, at Lake Hall in that, that area right there. And so I think we have nine or ten people that are going to be baptized, and so it's going to be a good time. Um, if, if you've not been baptized, maybe that's something you'd like to do. Uh, you, you want to talk sometime, just figure out what it is, whatever. Um, I had a chance this last Wednesday, I believe it was, to talk with one of our teenagers about it. And so uh, it's good. I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited about it. Every time we baptize somebody, I think it's exciting. But this, this year, I'm, I'm just, I think it's cool because we have, last year when we did it, we had mainly, I think the oldest, we had, I think one high schooler was the oldest one, I believe. The rest were all like elementary age. And um, this year we have, we have two grandparents. Uh, we have at least one ad- other adult. And then we have a couple teenagers and, and some young kids. And so it's just a wa- well-rounded group. So again, if it's something you've never done, maybe you're interested in it, you want to talk more about it, um, come grab me this morning or something like that, all right? Okay, so Daniel chapter 9. We're, last week we, we looked at um, this prayer of Daniel. It, it consisted of the first 19 verses in this chapter. And, and for those, maybe this is your first time here, first time joining us, what we do is we go through a book of the Bible verse by verse. And I think... Um, I enjoy that. I enjoy that method. It helps us throughout the week, throughout the month. Um, it allows us to all kind of stay on the same page. So if maybe you're out one week or two weeks or whatever, you kind of know roughly where we're at so you can maybe read it. Um, maybe during the week leading up to the message, hopefully you're reading it or afterwards you're reading it. Um, last week, this prayer of Daniel, I think, is one of the most passionate, impactful prayers, um, certainly of the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible as a whole. Daniel himself finds himself, he's old now, he's, he's probably in his late 80s, maybe even his 90s. For most of his life, he's been a captive, and he's going through the scriptures at that time, and that time they weren't in leather-bound books like we have here, but they were in scrolls, and he's going through this scroll, and in Jeremiah, he stumbles across this prophecy, and he realizes, in, according to Jeremiah, that, that the, his people, the Jews, would be held captive for 70 years. And he realized that, that time frame was approaching, that the 70 years were almost up. And he looked around and he saw that, that the nation as a whole was, was, in, was in ruins, like the, the, the Jews had turned their back on God. Um, his heart was broken. And so he goes before God, and I think it's just this amazing prayer. If you, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you guys to go back even t- today, this afternoon, read this prayer. You can see, you can feel, I, I, when I read it, you can almost feel the heartbeat of Daniel. And so Daniel's giving this prayer, and that's what we talked about last week. And we're going to pick up in verse 20. I'm going to read 20 through verse 27, and then we're just going to try and dissect it a little bit. So here we go. Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 20. It says this, While I, Daniel, was, was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was Speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in a swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand in speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again, in squares and moat, but in troubled time. Verse 26, And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off, and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, 
Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. If you recall, um, as we've gone through this book of Daniel, the first six chapters of Daniel are basically historical, autobiographical type information. These very familiar stories of, of Daniel being taken out of exile, his fast, of, of him interpreting this dream of, of Nebuchadnezzar, of, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, of, of Daniel Lyons, and very familiar historical type stories. Starting in, in, in chapter 7, it transitions away from history into prophecy. And we've talked about some pretty wild things. Um, we've talked about these dreams that, that Nebuchadnezzar had, a dream that Daniel had. And, and now we have this word from Gabriel to Daniel. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to hop into it. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the things you've done for us. God, I thank you for this, this portion of Scripture. And God, um, like the stuff that we read this morning, at first glance, appears very confusing. At first glance, it makes very little sense. But, but as we look at it, as we figure out what, what Gabriel said to Daniel, we see some profound, amazing scripture. Lord, this morning I, I pray that you work in all of our hearts, mine included. Lord, I pray that you allow these next few moments to be very special. I pray that you prepare our hearts, our minds, take away all the distractions around us. Lord, I pray that today that your word takes center stage. I pray that we, we all learn something. God, I am I, the first to admit when it comes to prophecy, prophecy that it is above my head. Much of it I don't understand. So claiming your scripture, God, I, I come before you asking for wisdom. May your word penetrate our hearts and change our lives. It's in your son's beautiful, precious, and holy name we pray. Amen. So the, the first little section that we read today, um, verses 20 through 23, the Bible tells us that, that Daniel's praying in the midst of his prayer. He doesn't even finish his prayer. And Gabriel shows up. Um, Gabriel is an angel. We mentioned this same angel a chapter or two back when, when he came to help Daniel understand Daniel's vision. This is the same Gabriel who will show up to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and he will, he will tell John the Baptist that, that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. This is the same Gabriel who will show up to marry the mother of Joseph, or Jesus and let her know that she's pregnant with child. So this is the same guy, and he, he shows up there, and it says, like a man, he takes the appearance of a man, and he sits with, with Gabriel, or with, with Daniel. And I, and I love this, because you have Daniel, if you remember going back to his prayer, like, like he had come prepared to pray. Like, like he, he, the Bible tells us in the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 that he had fasted. So he had been eating. He had put on sackcloth, and if you remember, I told you guys last week, this sackcloth was basically a, a garment made out of camel hair. And what they would do is they would turn it inside out, and so the camel hair would rub against your body. Not very comfortable. And so Daniel's he's passionately, powerfully praying to God. And in the midst of this prayer, God comes and gives an answer. We, we could park there for 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 the remainder of the message or the remainder of the morning. But, but this is what I think is awesome. A little side note for us to highlight. I don't know about you in your prayer life. It's interesting. If you go back and you read Daniel's prayer, those 19 verses, it might take you three minutes to read that prayer. Now, I don't know if there was more to that prayer that wasn't recorded, but as a whole, um, sometimes I think we get tricked into thinking in that for God to listen to our prayers, we have to spend hours upon hours upon hours. Or we have to do something special for him to listen to me. 
The reality is this, like God wants to answer our prayers more than we even want to ask him. And so Daniel's praying and he delivers the answer right away. And Gabriel comes and, and he, he kind of encourages Dan at the very beginning saying, listen, you know, God loves you, you're faithful, and I'm going to help you understand this. And then we get into this prophecy from Daniel 9, 24 through 27. And um, this is what I think I, I personally find is, is so utterly amazing. Um, this morning, I hope you know, we're going to bounce around in the Bible a little bit because I think that's going to help us connect some dots. But when we see this, the very verse beginning there um, in, in 924, it says 70 weeks. So what I want us to understand first is that that term weeks. Okay, in Hebrew, that term is heptads. And it's different than what we, like, when we read that, we, what do, how many days do we consider to be in a week? Seven, right? And so as, as we're reading this, as I'm reading this, I think 70 weeks. I'm thinking 77-day weeks. But it's different here, okay? Um, that, that idea, that, that term heptads is a generic word for seven, so what do we do with that? What does that mean? How do we apply it? So seven, seven what? I mean, it could be seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years. And so for us to better understand that, a, a, a general rule when it comes to the Bible, there's this principle. Um, it's called the principle of first mention. And when it comes to biblical interpretation, so what you do is you go back and you find that, that first mention of that word or that term. And, and, and typically what happens is when you get to that first mention, it helps describe what that term means. And so it will carry on throughout Scripture. And so we're not necessarily going to go there, but that first mention, that first use is, is found in Genesis chapter 29. And a pretty familiar story, you have this guy, Jacob, who falls in love with this girl named Rachel falls madly in love, goes and talks to Rachel's dad and says, I want to marry your daughter. Um, and so Rachel's dad, Laban, says, sure, you can marry her, but you have to work for me for seven years first. Um, that's kind of, I'm, I'm going to put this into practice. I've got three daughters. I don't know what these guys are going to do one day, but I'm, I'm going to make them work for me for seven years. So that's the deal. So he goes, and, and Jacob shows up and works seven years right? And I mean, could you imagine working that hard for seven years for your bride? Like, I mean, think about this. Like, I remember going and having that conversation with my father-in-law, right? I mean, I remember like being nervous and saying, hey, so I think I, think I want to ask your daughter to marry me. What do you think about that? Right? That, 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 those of us who are married, you might remember that conversation. Now, that's tough enough as it is. Could you imagine then having to work for him for seven years? All right, so he goes, Jacob goes, and he works for seven years, gets married, and the custom of that day was the bride would be veiled, okay? And so bride's veiled. Ceremony goes on. Next morning, Jacob wakes up um, and realizes that um, his father-in-law hoodwinked him, and it wasn't Rachel, but it was Rachel's sister, Leah, who happened to be Laban's oldest daughter. And so he goes back and he says, what is the deal? And, and, he, and Laban says, because of the, our culture of our day, like the oldest has to be married first. And so you're married to the oldest. And so Jacob goes and works an additional seven years to marry Rachel. And so this idea, this, this term, heptads, we see back in Genesis 29. And so when we use that, we understand that that term here in Daniel chapter 9 means that when we see weeks, it actually means years, okay? And so this passage from Daniel 24, 9, 24 through 27, we see this, um, this period of 70 weeks. And it's, it's subdivided. There's, a, there's, a, there's one section of seven. There's a section of 62. And there's one last section, Okay? You guys tracking with me a little bit? So here, this is what I think is, is utterly amazing. So what we're going to see this morning is this. Daniel gets this, this, this conversation here with Gabriel, probably in, in late, mid-late 500 B.C., 
like, in, like 580 B.C. or so, okay? And Gabriel is going to deliver to Daniel the exact date that Jesus declares himself the Messiah to the day. So here we go. This first one we see here. That first seven years, okay? In verse 25, it says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Okay? So that first section, that seven, um, which is actually 49 years, okay? It's going to happen when, when there's this, this word goes out for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and restored. Okay, so this is what's amazing. Remember, Daniel himself, he is captive. Most of his life, he's been a slave to the Babylonians and now the Persians. Okay, Jerusalem's in ruins. It's, it's, there's nothing there. The temple had been completely destroyed. And so Gabriel says, listen, when the word goes out for, the, for, the, for, for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, the clock will start ticking. Well, when did that occur? So here's what I want you guys to do. Go back in your Bible to Nehemiah. Um, sometimes we, we forget that, you know, the Bible's not, when we read our Bible, it's not in chronological order, right? So when we go backwards in, in Nehemiah, you go back past Proverbs, go back past Psalms, back past Job, and you get to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses here. So Nehemiah chapter 2 says this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I'd been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. So he's afraid because if the king understood that he was sad, and understand that, that Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. So he's much like Daniel. He's Jew and he's been imprisoned. And if he looks sad because he's captured, the, the, the king could kill him. It says this, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the, king of my, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me and the governors of the province and beyond the river that they may. I'm sorry, I lost my spot here. That they may pass through it until I come to Judah. And a letter of Ashford, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams of the gates of the fortress and the temple for the wall of the city and for the house I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of God was upon me. And so the king here, Artaxerxes, and this is what's interesting. So we, we see here the very first verse we read said, in the month of Nisan, your, your Bible might say the first of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes, we know from history, this isn't even Bible history, this is secular history. We know that he began his reign in 465 B.C. Okay, the 20th year of his rule, so he'd been ruling for, for 20 years, so we fast forward to 445 B.C. And we know that the first of Nisan would have fallen on March 14th. So we can tell you this, this dream, this, this conversation that he, that he has with, with Gabriel, and Gabriel tells him this is when it's going to start. We can tell, we, can, we, can, we know for certain from Scripture that that day in which the order goes out to rebuild the city is March 14th, 445 B.C. It will go ahead and take 
Nehemiah and the Israelites 49 years to rebuild the city. We get into that next section there. So after that, so it begins 449, or it begins with going out in the word to restore Jerusalem to the coming. And then look at it, it says um, in verse 26, and then after the 62 weeks, so remember those are seven-year increments. Those seven years plus the 62 group there. So we have 69 seven-year increments. Comes out to 483 years. This is, I, I find this so utterly fascinating, guys. So when Daniel receives this, this vision, this conversation, his calendar is different than our calendar is today. They're not abiding by the Roman calendar like we, we use. This, they would use the Jewish calendar. So the Jewish calendar had 360 days as opposed to our 365 days. And so for us to get a, an understanding of this, we really need to transpose this into days. And so we take those, those 483 years, using the Jewish calendar, 360 days, we get 173,880 days. So you fast forward that from that March 14th, 445 B.C., when the king gives Nehemiah the clearance to go ahead and begin to rebuild the city. And you fast forward this 173,880 days, and you come to April 6th, 32 AD. In Luke chapter 3, we, beginning in verse 1, we see the Bible tells us when Jesus' earthly ministry would begin. Um, tells us there that it started in the 15th year of Tiberius. Um, Tiberius' reign itself began in 14 AD. And so that would give us a timeline that Jesus' earthly ministry would begin in AD 29. I understand like this today is a little bit different than maybe some of our, 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 our messages because it's we're talking dates, we're talking numbers, and, and, I, and I want us to connect this in a moment. But I, I, again, I think this is crazy. So his earthly ministry would begin in A.D. 29, and, and most commentators would tell you that Jesus more than likely in his ministry celebrated four Passovers, that first one in 29, 30, 31, and his last one, the final one, in A.D. 32. And with um, the knowledge that we have today of the different lunar charts, we can go back and we can come up with the exact dates of these ancient Passovers. And so what I'm about to read, Luke chapter 19, if you want to open your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. This right here, this event happened as best we can tell, on April 6th, 32 AD. It says this, And when he had said these things, this is Jesus, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you. Where you are entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat, Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks why you're untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent out went away and found it just as they had been told. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And he, they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread the cloaks on their road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Verse 41. 
And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem it out on every side and tear down to the ground you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So Jesus, this triumphal entry, it's a passage that we read right around Easter. Jesus, this is the first time in Jesus' ministry where he will allow the crowd to sing his praises. This is the first time. Like every other time when people would come and would want to name him Lord or make him king, he would, he would duck away, he would hide, he would run from it. He would get away from the attention. But on this occasion, the triumphal entry, April 6th, AD 32, Jesus gets on this colt, uh, a, a ride of royalty. And he would go and he would be presented in this parade in which people would take these palm leaves, they would wave them, they would take their garments out, lay on the ground, and they were singing and they were shouting, Hosanna, and they were naming him king, and Jesus accepted it. Jesus, in the triumphal, in the triumphal entry, was allowing himself to be the king and showing himself to be the Messiah. And so here we have in Daniel, chapter 9, Daniel showing this timetable to the exact day. You know, as we read that triumphal entry, I find it pretty amazing. Jesus begins to be ridiculed by the Pharisees. The religious leaders, these are the people, they, they knew the Bible. They, they, knew, they knew Daniel. They, they knew the book of Daniel. They had studied it. Most of them had memorized it. They knew exactly what was said there. They had this head knowledge, but they had no heart knowledge. As much as they had read it, they had no understanding who this Messiah was. And so these very religious leaders, as Jesus is being ordained, anointed as this Messiah, are telling Jesus to tell the crowds to shut up. And Jesus turns to these so-called religious leaders and says, listen, even if I tell these people to be quiet, the rocks will scream out. And so as we look at Daniel, we see these first 69 weeks having already played out. I, I find this in verse 26. It says, An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Those few days after Jesus is celebrated, those few days after the parade, Jesus will find himself hanging on a cross. And he himself gains nothing out of it. Um, in fact, verse 26 seems, seems to indicate um, that, that, you know, shall have nothing. That those around him will leave and he'll, he'll be lonely by himself. And we, we know that through reading the Gospels, that when he's arrested, they, the disciples all flee. But, you know, Jesus himself gains nothing. I was reminded as reading this of, of 2 Corinthians 5, 21, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite verses. But God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we're the, we're the ones who benefit from Jesus in the cross. And Jesus finds himself cut off and lonely. Continuing in verse 26, it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. A few years after Jesus 
will, will die on a cross. After his resurrection, A.D. 70, history tells us that the Romans march in to Jerusalem once again. Titus has, was the commander, the general over this multitude of soldiers. And they, they march into Jerusalem and they try and get the people to once again turn back towards the Roman emperor, become more subservient to the Romans. And it doesn't go well. This big revolt breaks out. And so through utter force, the Romans slaughter most of Israel. Titus himself is trying to preserve the, the temple because of its beauty, because of all the riches it contains. Um, in all the chaos, some of the soldiers begin to throw lanterns into the temple and it burns to the ground. Um, history tells us that it got so hot that the gold began to melt. And that portion of scripture when Jesus in Luke 19 tells us that he began to weep. As Jesus is marching into his city, he looks out and he realizes that if, if the people would just turn to him, that he could bring peace in their lives, but knows they'll reject him. And that passage about no stone unturned, that after the fire, those soldiers would go into that area where the temple was, and they would overturn all the stones, looking for all the gold they could find, and the Jews would be scattered. And so that's the first 69 weeks of that prophecy. But the prophecy as a whole is 70. We have this one last week or, or seven years. And then there's this kind of a pause or transition that we see here in Scripture. Verse 27 says, And, and he, this is referring to the prince of the people shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out of the desolator so what does that mean <laughs> desolate desolator abominations he covenants what it fast-forwards. There's this, this time, and, and one of the things we have to understand, Daniel, there was one mystery that Daniel never received. That's why in some of his visions, there's this kind of d dark spot where they, he doesn't understand, he doesn't comprehend it. It's just not, it's this thing called the church. See, the church was not mentioned at all in the 69 weeks previously. And it's interesting because the last week, the church is not mentioned. This prophecy is held to the nation of Israel. When we read this, we can't read this thinking this is made to the church. This is a prophecy to the nation of Israel. Now, we see the prophecy but it's to Israel. And so what happens this, this last week, this last seven years, there's this one who will arise. He'll be this charismatic, intelligent leader. And he will be able to manipulate this treaty. Specifically in the Middle East. Because again, this is relative to Israel. He will be able to manipulate this, this treaty to the point where there is complete peace in the Middle East. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I watch the news today, there's everything but peace in the Middle East, isn't there? Um, I don't know how one cannot watch the news and not feel sorry for Israel. 
because they are surrounded by people who hate them and will do pretty much whatever they can to destroy them. Yet somehow or another, this person will arise and create peace. Um, Notice in verse 27 it says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many. That, that term, that idea of many, um, is not a general term for all people. Like there are many of us today or there, there are many nationalities found here in the United States. This, this idea, again, is relative to Israel. And so this treaty will be accepted by many of the, most of Israel. There'll still be some people who will resist, but as a whole, many will claim this to the point where they'll be able to rebuild the temple. Now check this out. If you were to go to Israel today and you were to go to the Temple Mount, the area where the temple was, it seems to be inhibited or inhabited by something called the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is this mosque, right? Um, quick time out. Do the Jews and the Muslims like each other? No, they don't. They don't tend to get along very well. For a good portion of history, we believe that this Dome of the Rock was built on top of the area that the temple once laid. And for prophecy to become fulfilled, the temple would have to be reconstructed on the very ground that it once stood. That seems to be a little bit of a problem if it's already there's already something there. Well, archaeologists believe now that the Dome of the Rock was built to the north of where the temple once stood. And it just so happens that there are about 10 acres that are vacant. If you were to look at the layout of the temple, they could construct the temple today. And the Temple Mount would just be located in the, what was the old outer gate, the outer courts. This is what, maybe write this down if, you, if you're interested in this stuff. In Revelation um, chapter 11, verse 12, John the Baptist, or not, yeah, John gets this vision of, has this revelation. Jesus tells him to go out there and, and, and measure this temple. And this is what's interesting. He tells him to go ahead and measure everything except for the front court. And in there he says, the front court's been given to other nations your version may say Gentiles, non-Jews. Um, Ezekiel, uh, starting in chapter 40, Ezekiel has a vision of the temple. You fast forward to Ezekiel chapter 42, verse 20. As he's going and surveying and measuring, he discusses this wall that's built to separate the holy and the profane. The Orthodox Jew today, if you were to, to talk to him and ask him about the Messiah, he would more than likely tell you that they'll know when the Messiah comes, when the temple has been rebuilt. It will be the coming Messiah who will rebuild this temple. This he revert, referred to in verse 27 is what we typically refer to as the Antichrist. And he'll come in and he'll make these promises and he'll create this, this treaty. And see here when he says, um, in halfway through verse 27, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. So the first half, first three and a half years, everything will be bliss. Everything will be happy Everything will be great. And then halfway through this treaty, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and the offerings. In Revelation, we read that he'll actually go in to the temple, to this area that we call the Holy of Holies. Like the, the area that, that is reserved only for the high priest. So this is this would be like we would not have access to this. This is a very special, selective area. This is the Holy of Holies. The high priest goes. This is where the sacrifice is taking place. And the Antichrist will go in halfway through this treaty, three and a half years in, and halt 
these sacrifices and construct this idol. Some say it'll be a, 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 an image of the Antichrist. Some say it may be an image of Zeus or whatever. All I know is this. It won't be anything about Jesus. And for those last three and a half years, it will be hell on earth. Absolute hell on earth. Um, I, I told you this when we began to talk about these things. Prophecy is not my comfort zone. I mean, guys, I say this selectively. Go home and you can Google prophecy on YouTube and you will see all sorts of nut jobs. Oftentimes when we look at prophecy, there's this temptation where we get um, depressed. We think, man, it is going to be so awful. Like things can get so bad. The good news is this. According to the way I understand the Bible, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior don't have to worry about experiencing that. We'll, Christ will return prior to that. We, we, we will be caught up before the, the rapture, I believe, will occur before this tribulation period occurs. But even in this, when things look like so bad, when it looks so dreadful, when it's awful, when it's literally like absolute hell on earth, God still wins. God still wins. It, it ends right there. And it says, On the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Before Gabriel got into this whole deal, in verse 20 through 24, he describes this history that, that Israel will have. Verse 24, it says this, 70 weeks are decreed upon your people. So this time period, your holy city, to finish this transgression. And listen to this. After that 70th week, after that time of tribulation, it says this, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit and to anoint a most holy place. After all of this is done, and we read it earlier in Luke, to put an end to sin and to be and to atone for iniquity. That whole cross picture was Christ paying for our sins. So that if we believe, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have no worries about things to come. I think this morning as we look at this, as we end, I hope a few things ring true with us. One in a very practical here today lesson, away from the 483 years, away from these 70 weeks, away from all this stuff, on a very practical level, Daniel spent time with God. And when Daniel came to God in his prayer, the focal point, what was on his mind, what was on his heart, what was in his spirit, what he was praying to God about was this 70-year period that he had been in, this, this time of being enslaved. That's what he was concerned about. He was concerned about his nation. He was concerned about the here and the now. And in the midst of this time in prayer, in the midst of him reading his Bible, God revealed so much more to him. My encouragement for us to this is this, that we follow the same example that we've seen in Daniel's life throughout the entire book. Like Daniel, time after time after time, spent time reading the Bible and spent time with God in prayer. And I find it amazing in my own life and folks, I'm no giant. I'm no better than anybody else in this room. In fact, I dare say there are several of you who probably have a stronger prayer life than mine. But I've seen in my own life, when I spend time alone with God, 
And maybe there's concerns and things weighing on my spirit. Um, Maybe there are questions that I have, but as I spend time alone with God, things change. Perspective changes. I've shared before one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. God says, For my thoughts aren't your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts than yours. How awesome is that? Like, because in our own minds, we, we see this surface level stuff. We, and it may be important. It may be impactful. It may be weighing. But God stands above us all. He sees the beginning and the end. He has this amazing plan for our lives. And we spend time with him. He begins to reveal it to us, share it with us, show it to us. And sometimes we realize that, you know what? That problem I'm struggling with isn't really as big as I think it is. The second thing I hope we walk away with is this morning, if there's someone here who's, who's never accepted Jesus as their Savior, I hope in the mathematics today, in the history lesson today, we did not lose sight of this precious gift This understanding that God loved us so much that he sent his one and his only son, Jesus Christ. And that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We ourselves can't work our way to heaven. We can't earn it. In fact, Jesus himself made it really clear. And he said, I am the way, truth, life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. We think, well, that's not fair. That's not right. Why, why should there only be one way? Well, I'll tell you this much. He paid the price. He's God, I'm not. So he deserves to be able to call the shots. So this morning, maybe you find yourself here saying, I've never done that before. Today would be a great day to figure that out. We're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for all the things you've done for us. Lord, I thank you that even when we look in passages like this that are confusing, God, I'm, I'm thankful for a God who proves himself to be true. I'm thankful, God, for this Bible that you gave us. That you delivered a message to Daniel in late 500 B.C. that would be a roadmap to the exact day that you would declare yourself the Messiah. I'm I'm thankful that you give us your word and and in these prophecies, as, as, as much as they may be difficult to understand, Lord, I'm thankful that we can see it, we can we can read it, and we can we can see as we've seen in these other prophecies that that much of this has already come true. Lord, this morning, I pray you work on our hearts. 
I don't know how you may be working. Or there may be some in here today that um, are just kind of playing the part. As long as Jesus doesn't interfere with my life too much, then okay. But once, once you do, we're a lot like those Pharisees. We're like, hey, just tell the crowd to shut up. Lord, I am not a prophet. I'm not going to stand before the people and give a date and a time and all that kind of stuff when you're going to return. I, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 10,000 years from now. I have no idea. But Lord, help us to quit playing games. Do a great work, Holy Spirit. In your son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to have uh, Savannah and Bonnie come back up here. Um, and we're going to sing a, a song. It's a song called Here's My Heart, I believe, right? And um, I'm just going to ask for us all to just stand up. And we're going to sing this song. And we're almost done, so I know we got plans to go to Chili's for baby back ribs or whatever it is after the service. But I really do just ask for these last couple of moments just to kind of think on this stuff. Um, the stuff that we read, the stuff that we talk about today, it's not fairy tale stuff. Um, I believe this. I, I'm not going to tell anybody I'm the most eloquent speaker. I mean, if you came to listen to me talk, then you've been sorely disappointed. But don't listen to my words, listen to God's words the Bible passages that we read, how the Bible proves itself true time and time and time again. And in your life, maybe it is your prayer life. Maybe it's where you're at that you just need to get to the same position where Daniel was, where he just passionately followed Christ. Maybe today you would just be honest and say, listen, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. I just want us to sing this song and think about these things. When we're done singing this song, I'm going to come back up here and ask you just two questions. We're going to pray, and we're going to get ready to go, all right? So, ladies...